0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshiping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. I'm Chris Royer, the Executive Director of Anglican Frontier Missions, and I am so grateful for Ascension's partnership with AFM since 1996. That's 25 consecutive years of partnering together as we spread the sweet fragrance of Jesus in places where he is not known, places without Christians or churches. And I'm also thankful that you all were my sponsoring church for ordination 13 years ago. I was living in the Middle East. I flew here. And uh, Father Jonathan's not here, so we can talk a little bit about him. He was so gracious, he picked me up where I was staying in Bellevue, brought me to church, which was actually the annual parish picnic. I met many of you all there. And then he, he dropped me back off at home. It was a huge act of kindness. And so we came the next year. My girls were torchbearers here, have fond memories of this church, and I got ordained here. And so I'm just utterly thankful for your rector's welcoming spirit and for the significance of Ascension in my life, and for your gospel partnership with Anglican Frontier Missions for 25 years now. Special gratefulness for uh, Khan and all those on the mission committee as well. So with that, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and pray. Father, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. And together, all God's children say... Amen, that's right. Well, there's a story of this man who was excessively blunt and direct in his communication. His wife was going on a business trip, and um, she had this pet poodle whom she loved dearly. No kids, but a poodle. His wife called him from New York and said, honey, how are things going? The husband responded, your dog's dead. And she was taken aback and very disturbed, but after she gathered herself, she said, honey, can't you speak more indirectly to me? more tactfully to me, he says, what do you want me to say? Your dog's dead. How can I say it? And she said, well, when I get to New York, you could say your dog's stuck out on the roof. And when I get to Chicago, you could say your, your, your dog's fallen off the roof. And when I get to Denver, you could say your dog's in a ho- animal hospital. And when I get to L.A., you could say, I'm so sorry to, to break this to you, honey, but your dog is now dead. And he said, yeah, I think I could do that and the wife responded well thank you so much and and by the way how's my dear mother doing the husband responded she's on the roof The book of Hebrews is direct and forthright in its communication. The author doesn't beat around the bush when it talks about the serious and weighty matters of the gospel. In the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, he's brilliantly communicated that Jesus Christ is king of kings, our mediator and our great high priest. And this Jesus and this Jesus alone is the one to whom we owe all of our loyalty, all of our devotion and because Jesus is the one and only eternal Son of God, the author says, if we go on deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins. And so Jewish Christians who slide back into Judaism or any, put anything or anyone else above Jesus are in eternal danger. And he goes on to say, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Straight talk from the author of this book. However, he's also a pastor, and he's got a pastor's heart, and so in verses 31 through 39, he's trying to encourage these Christians to stand firm in the midst of persecution, to stand firm in the midst of suffering, because it's also a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of people who hate you because they hate your Jesus. My wife and I, right now, uh, after raising two daughters, are now empty nesters. And we've been spending a lot of time recently house hunting, searching for the ideal, perfect house in the next season of our lives. And so my wife's new best friend and her new addiction is Zillow.com. Spending lots of time on Zillow, looking for houses, and she's constantly questioning me about size and location, even colors of a house that we might buy someday, even though I'm colorblind. And so I say to her, Janae, why are you always asking me about colors when you know I'm colorblind? And she says, so I can choose the opposite Of what you tell me. So we're looking at houses. And one morning over breakfast. We got Zillow.com on our computer. And after that I I went into my office. And I turned on my computer. And as soon as I read the first email. Just boom. Oh my I got an email from a young AFM missionary couple halfway around the world, and their country that they're living in is sliding into political chaos with demonstrations on the street, uncertainty about what will be going on the next 48 hours, the next day or two. And the missionary wife actually, uh, about a month before this, uh, had given birth in her own home, and the midwife didn't show up, and she's in this country, a a country with very poor standard of living, the the midwife doesn't show up, so her own husband has to hand-deliver the baby in their apartment, giving birth like it was done decades or maybe even centuries ago. But thank God she's resilient. Thank God that our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. She's doing fine now, but when I got this email, I realized they're stuck in this country indefinitely with young kids, and a collapsing government, and they're facing an uncertain future. And I thought to myself, how do I reconcile these two alternative realities, these two parallel universes, physical suffering, uncertainty on the one hand, and and my wife and I were in this this relative position of economic and political stability so much that we can dictate where we go, what we do, what we buy, 30 minutes beforehand, I was looking on Zillow.com, but now I'm thinking about this AFM missionary couple who is suffering for Christ, who's gone halfway around the world for Christ because they have on their hearts an unreached people group. And if we don't put sandals on the ground to tell them and show them Jesus, chances are no one among this unreached people group will have the chance to hear the good news and respond to Jesus Christ. So as an aside, if you feel the spirit moving in your heart, maybe call to missionary service. See me or see um, Gretchen, our training coordinator, and, and Brad, who teaches at TSM, also at the booth in the back. And we'd love to talk to you about what a call to unreached people groups might look like. And so I feel this gap and I feel this chasm between the situation that I'm living at in the US and between this missionary couple. And I'm thinking to myself, that used to be me. I lived overseas in the Middle East and I experienced some of that Hebrews chapter 10 like suffering just like this missionary couple is experiencing right now. But now I've been living in the US for years, for 15 years. And I'm thinking to myself, Church of the Ascension, am I suffering for Jesus? Do you, Ascensionites, suffer for Jesus? Story about Johnny, law school student, true story. Studying at an elite legal law school in our country, and one of his classes was religion and the Constitution. During which Johnny was expecting this logical discourse-driven, uh, deliberate, del- logical deliberation-driven type of uh, classroom discussions in his discussions in his law school. But he was amazed that so often it wasn't legal principles, but the feelings and emotions of his fellow law school students that was actually directing conversation in his class. In one class period, period, he talked about, or they were talking about sexuality and gender, and it was especially true then. And when Johnny affirmed his belief in lifelong a monogamous marriage between one man and one woman, All but two class members jumped on him, tried to silence him. And then later they emailed their professor behind his back, telling the professor that that professor should have done more to restrain Johnny's conversations because it triggered them. It hurt their feelings. But but church, this was not a counseling session. This was a law school class and the title of the class was religion and the constitution. They were trying to find ways where they intersected and ways where they didn't. No blood was spilled in that class. None of the things that we read about in Hebrews chapter 10 occurred. No property was confiscated. But at the end of the day, two options lay before Johnny. Number one, apologize for triggering the feelings and the emotions of his classmate, or number two, say nothing and face the very real possibility that this professor who was a Christian and untenured at the university might get fired. What should Johnny do? A labyrinth is an intricate combination of paths and passageways, right? It's a maze, and, and it's so intricate that you you lose your bearings in the midst of a labyrinth. You can't see over the top of it. Remember the shining and that maze in the movie and Jack Nicholson getting stuck in a labyrinth? A labyrinth is utterly confusing and disorienting, and of course, that's what a labyrinth is supposed to do, disorient and confuse those who are walking through it. So, also, this lost school student, Johnny, was totally confused about what to do as a result of the suffering and pushback that came because of his stand for Jesus Christ. He was nervous. He felt intimidated. He felt shame that he didn't speak up more winsomely in class. And he also was fearful. He was so fearful and anxious that he couldn't sleep well the whole next week leading up to the next class period. His mind was muddled, his spirit was heavy. For the sake of Jesus Christ, this Johnny was suffering for the gospel in 21st century America. Another story. Uh, this about time about a woman who started working in a hospital that was formed about hundred years ago in the Bible Belt in the U.S. by a Christian denomination. And the hospital, still, at least on paper, was adhering to their biblical values. Even in their mission statement, there was something about lifting up Jesus Christ. But in the orientation for new employees, the person told the the newly hired nurse that actually they shouldn't talk about their faith in Jesus because the hospital doesn't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. The middle-aged nurse, a, a friend of mine, Deeply wanted to integrate her faith into her work. That's one reason she left the previous hospital. But this hospital, ostensibly operating on Christian principles, was frightened, almost paralyzed to allow people to know about their own faith, the faith of the the people that were working there. It's so ironical that this hospital was now pressuring this Christian woman not to share the gospel, not to let people know that she was a follower of Jesus Christ. This is suffering in 21st century America. And this is the world that we Christians are living in day after day after day. We're suffering even at the hands of sometime so-called Christians pressured and, and cajoled not to speak up, not to identify with Jesus, not to talk about how Jesus has saved us, how Jesus is our eternal high priest at the right hand of God interceding for us. And, and this keeps on crashing into our universities and crashing into the media and into politics and economics. And unfortunately, this pressure, this anti-Jesus tension even crashes into the church sometimes. And so it makes us anxious and tentative and fearful and ashamed and and a whole host of things going through our minds and our hearts. Where I used to live as a missionary in the Middle East, there's a story about two camels, a mama and a baby camel. One day the, the baby camel asked mama camel, mama, why do we have these huge hoofs? Mama camel said, that's simple, so we can walk across sand dunes without sinking in. Okay, Mama, then then why do we have these long eyelashes? Mama Camel said, that's simple, so we can walk through fierce desert sandstorms without having the particles get into our eyes. Okay, Mama, then uh, tell me, why do we have these two humps or these lumps on our back? And Mama said, oh, that's simple, so we can go for weeks on end without having to drink a sip of water. Okay, Mama, said the baby Camel, then tell me, why are we still living in a zoo? What a wonderful teacher Mama Camel is, right? She talks real fine. If only she were out in the wild walking the talk, not stuck behind bars in a zoo. But I wonder, church, can the zoo or can the church be kind of like a zoo for us Jesus followers? We love our teaching, especially at this church. This church has always been a strong teaching church. Praise God. We love our teaching. We love our inspirational worship at this service. It's so great to be back at Ascension and worship with you all. We love our teaching. We love our worship. We love our Bible studies. We love this inspirational building. And we remind each other so confidently and reassuringly that Jesus died for us, that Jesus loves the world. We see things so clearly, but don't we need to remember church sometimes that Jesus relentlessly, fearlessly preached and lived the gospel in the public. Yes, he retreated sometimes, but he relentlessly lived the gospel in the public square and therefore persecution came. And that we as his followers are to wisely, strategically, yet boldly live and proclaim this gospel in the public square and pushback will also come to us as well. Johnny, the law school student, had a whole week, week to think and pray about what to do before the next class came. And his prof actually communicated with him that he wanted Johnny to apologize in front of the whole class for the sake of soothing things over, smoothing them out. On the one hand, Johnny knew the gospel can be offensive because Peter says it is. Peter says Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, But on the other hand, Johnny didn't want this untenured Christian professor to be let go. And he didn't want to lessen or cheapen Jesus either. It was a real dilemma. So he reached out to his church family. He has a great church family. You all are a great church family. And he asked for their input and their prayers and their support in this confusing situation. Praise God that his church walked through it with him. And in the chur- in the end, the church helped him find a middle way, like Jesus found that middle way when they said, whose image is on this coin? His church helped him find a middle way so that he said, sorry for the hurt feelings, but not for his beliefs and not for the belief of Christianity when it comes to marriage. And although the students still complain that his apology was not sufficient enough, praise God, the professor is still at that institution teaching at the school. This suffering built Johnny up and it helped him get a sense of what lies ahead. And it helps all of us get a sense of what lies ahead. Johnny knows, God knows, suffering will return again. And the nurse, she still feels the the pressure to just, shh, don't talk about Jesus. We've got a paid chaplain to do that. Just do your job. She still feels that professor in the hospital, but nonetheless, she's still talking about Jesus more wisely, more reservedly, pressing on by the grace of God and and showing Jesus through her actions and through her concerns for staff and patients alike. And so, Church of the Ascension, the question is this, how do we respond to this kind of labyrinth-like, insidious, confusing, perplexing suffering that we as Jesus followers face in the 21st century, that the world keeps thrusting upon us, pushing upon us day after day after day. Like Mama Camel retreating to the safety of bars in a closed building, or like the writer of the Hebrews asks and asks and encourages the people to do in their day, to keep on meeting together and to endure endure. The writer of Hebrews says a little bit earlier in chapter 10, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembly together, as is the habit of some. But all the more, as you see the day drawing near, what he's saying is that we can endure as Jesus's followers, anything that the enemy throws at us, if we are committed to each other, if we have a small group, if we are in community. And COVID has thrown a wrench into that. And if you're here today and you are not attached to a Christian community, somehow, some way, in a safe way that is going to make you comfortable, reach out and reestablish Christian roots. Because community, Christian community helps us in the midst of suffering. And this is what the author is telling us. But that's not all. He also calls the Hebrew Christians to persevere and endure. You see, in the midst of suffering, we're to never give up because our most natural response is to retreat, is to slide back into the way we were living before we knew Jesus, not to rock the boat, not to take the bullet, to stop talking and living Jesus in the public square. This is what tempted the Hebrew Christians in their day, and it tempts us in our day as well. And so the author says, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. Can I get an amen? Yes, we're not. We are of those who are saved. And we are of those who have faith, says the author of Hebrews. And so he challenges them. He asks them to stand firm in their faith for the gospel. And so let me speak directly to you all, Church of the Ascension, one last time. We do not go looking for suffering. We do not seek suffering. We don't thrust ourselves into it. We're not stupid. We're not sadomasochists. But as we live and share Christ in an increasingly secularizing world, pushback and suffering will come. Physical, emotional, economic, relational. The list goes on and on and on. A thousand different ways it will come. It's been this way from the beginning. It happened to Jesus and the apostles. It will be this way until he comes again with great power and glory to take us home. And so, my beloved Church of the Ascension, stand firm in faith. Stand firm in your faith. Because you are not those who shrink back and destroyed. You are those who have faith and are saved because the Holy Spirit dwells amongst you and Jesus is your mediator, interceding for you at the right hand of God. You are the salt of the earth, Church of the Ascension. You are the light of the world. You are a city set upon a hill in this part of Pittsburgh for all to come and see the sweetness and the beauty of Jesus Christ. As camels' feet are made for walking across sand dunes in the wild, your feet are made for coming into this place and worshiping and getting encouraged and getting taught And then your feet are made for leaving this place and being a winsome, joyful, loving witness for those who do not yet know Jesus Christ. Your feet are made for the wild. And so church of the ascension, stand firm and fix your eyes upon our King Jesus, who who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame. He despised the suffering. He was looking through the suffering because on the other end of that suffering, he saw us, he saw you. Let us fix our eyes on this King Jesus in the midst of the suffering as we stand out of light, as lights in this broken and wounded world. For the glory of King Jesus, amen and amen. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me, please. Today, if you are experiencing subtle or acute pushback for your stance and for your faith in Jesus Christ. Hear this word of the Lord for you. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ and for our call of obedience to him. Strengthen all of us in our weakness. Strengthen us in the day of trial for your kingdom and for your glory's sake. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And together, all the, all the saints of this church say, amen.